Let's pray. Father, tonight we are so grateful for your word. We thank you that you are absolutely faithful to your word every single time. I thank you, God, that we can depend on you, we can trust you, and we can live our lives in peace no matter what's happening in the world around us. Lord, because you have encircled us with your favor, and we thank you for that tonight. We absolutely believe you because you cannot lie. Not only will you not, but you simply cannot do it. And so we're grateful to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me get here where I want to start here. You think I'm just skipping everything, but I'm coming back to it just so you'll know. I think I'm going to start with this verse of Scripture tonight. Second Chronicles 7.14, you all know what this verse says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. The one thing that verse didn't say was, if my people, which are called by my name, will gripe all day about the president, I'll heal their land. If they'll just gripe loud enough about the other party, then I'll heal their land. Did anybody say it all? Uh, the answer is in the spirit and the answer is in the heart of believers, the people of God. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Prayer is the key here. We need to be people of prayer. Prayer is not going to God and complaining about things. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is a whole different thing than that. The, the Bible says this in, in Ephesians chapter 6, when it's talking about fighting a fight, it's talking about going to war. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take into you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having your breastplate, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you, should, you, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now this is telling us how to fight a fight. And it concludes in that, in that passage with praying always. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always with all prayer. That Literally, it's in the Greek it says praying always with all kinds of prayer. It doesn't mean that we, that we spend our whole day on our knees praying, but it means we always are in, a, in an attitude of prayer. We always should be ready to pray. Always be ready to communicate with God. So that tells me that it's not, it's not just us praying <clears throat> to complain and remind God <clears throat> of what the devil is doing. That's what most Christians do. We, re we remind him of what the devil is doing. We need to be reminding God of what he wants to do, reminding him of what his word promises us. But it talks about praying with all kinds of prayer. There are all kinds of prayers to pray. All kinds that we need to understand. But we're not going to talk about all those tonight. But I just want us to look at this word, prayer, for a moment. 
The word here in the Greek is the Greek word uh, prosuke, and the word is it, used 127 times in the New Testament, prosuke, for prayer. So it's talking about praying, and the word that he uses, he says praying always with, pray, with all prayer. The word praying is that word. The word prayer is that word, so twice in that phrase. So it's prosuke. So the word is kind of an interesting word, and this is what we need to learn how to do as we fight the fight of faith in the Spirit as we pray in, 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 in all these kinds of prayers. But this is, this is talking about a consecration type prayer. And it's talking about, it's talking about prosuke, the word, the first word is pros, and that word means toward or it means to get close to. One scholar says the word pros is used to portray the intimate relationship between Jesus and God. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. That word is pros. It's talking about intimacy. It's talking about face-to-face. -face. It's talking about that we really are not just griping at God, that we're not really just, God, i got two minutes here, but taking time to be intimate with God. Prayer is an intimacy with God. If we're going to see our nation change, if we're going to see the nation return, the church has to get intimate with God. It cannot be about a show. It can't be about, well, I've got, Lord, Lord you, got, you got me for 55 more minutes and that's all we're going to do. It's got to be intimacy with God. We have to have an intimate relationship with him. That word, it describes this relationship between Jesus and the, and, and the Father. It tells us there's an intimate relationship. So the, it, one, one expositor translated, in the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. Intimate, face to face, Jesus and the Father. The word is used to, to, to we just read the, we read the verses in, in Ephesians where it talked about, it says, we wrestle not against, the word against is the word pros. It's talking about face to face. We fight against these spirits. We're face to face. We can't be cowards, but it's talking about getting close, right? So we, we recognize that it's face to face. The second part of the word is UK. And UK is an interesting word in, from the Greek. <clears throat> it describes a wish a desire, but more specifically, it describes a vow. It, it originally depicted some kind, a person who made some kind of vow to God because he had a need in his life. It's, an, it's talking about giving something of great value to God in exchange for a favorable answer. The word in the Greek does that. The best illustration maybe in the whole Bible is when Hannah, the mother of Samuel, came to the altar and she wanted a child. More than anything, she wanted a child. And so she makes this vow to God. And it tells us in, in 1 Samuel 1.11, it says, She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and forget not thine handmaid, but will give, me, give, un, give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. That's an interesting passage because she made a vow. Mm -hmm. She said, If you give me a son, I'll give him to you. The most important thing in her world would have been the son, but she's willing to give that son back to God. She made a vow. And so it says that she went home and, they, and, and the Lord remembered them and they had a child, she and her husband. So in exchange for the son, she vowed he would be devoted to the work of the ministry. So when she made that commitment, she gave the most valuable prized possession she had so that God would answer her prayer. Here's the question. Are we serious about believing God for revival in our nation? Are we serious enough about believing God to say, God, we will do whatever it takes to see revival come to our land? Or are we waiting for the preacher to get revival and then him wave his hand and everybody fall or something? What are we willing to do? 
it's, this, this is about an exchange. In, in, the, in the Greek culture, now, Paul wrote the New Testament, or the, his books in the New Testament, in Greek. And so Greeks read most of it. They understand this word. And so but when they offered a prayer to whatever God they were doing, they set up an altar, which was a thanksgiving altar. All right? These vows, these vows were called votive offerings, and the voting offerings were, were a pledge to this God. But they gave thanks in advance of this prayer because in, in advance of the vow or the pledge because they believed that if they would, if they would offer thanks, make a vow that, that their God would honor them. So the word is built with that inside of it. It has, has to do with a thankful heart. So when we go to God in prayer, we need to go to God with intimacy. We need to be willing to give ourselves away to God, give ourselves away to him so that, so that, so that he... Prayer is not about me going to God and praying and saying, God, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. It's about me going to God and saying, God, what do you need from me? What do you need from me, God, so that we can see revival in our nation? What, what, what do you need from us? Because it's not making a demand of God to please me. It's making a demand of God to please him. And that's what prayer is all about. It's having intimacy with God. It is making a vow or whatever necessary to do, making an exchange of our life for his. That's what prayer does. It has to do with an intimate relationship with God and willing to lay our lives down for his will and for his plan. You know, a lot of, a lot of the things that transpire in church today would have never happened in the church of the book of Acts because those men and women gave their lives away for the gospel. They were willing to go against the flow of society, to take the stand for him, and they gave everything. They gave, you know, we need to come to the altar and make a sacrifice and say, God, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do here. What will it take for me? What is your plan for me? So the Holy Spirit convicts us and he shows us what we need to change. We need to be thankful in advance. We need to thank God in advance that he's answering our prayer because we understand we are near to him we are intimate with him, and we're willing to do whatever it takes to have his purpose accomplished in our lives. And that needs to be the prayer that we, we pray. We need to pray with the idea that we're willing and able to do whatever God would have us to do. Do you know that God will never assign you a job you can't do, right? I mean, he's not going to say, do this, and, you, and, and we can't be like Moses. And he said, I can't because I can't talk. And God got a little irritated with Moses, and he said, all right, I'll send your brother to you. But prayer is more than just more than just doing, going through the motion, but it's committing ourselves to him. It is making our lives his. And so as we pray, as the people of God learn to pray, and we, we humble ourselves and pray, we need to come to this place where we say, God, whatever you want is what I want. Whatever you want me to do is what I will do. And we know that when, that, when the people of God start doing that, Things are going to change in our land, change everywhere around us. So now I'm going to do something I haven't done <clears throat> ever in this particular group. I had a computer crash last night, and so I didn't type the outline that I intended to type for you. I was going to tell you about what's withholding the Antichrist, why he can't come right now. Okay, I'll just give you a hint, it's because we're still in this room. But I was going to teach that tonight. But instead of doing that, I'm going to teach you something that I actually taught you two and a half years ago. My guess is some of you will remember it, but most will not. Because 
I discovered years ago that if you wait two years, people have forgotten it for the most part. <laughs> so, <laughs> here's, I want to read this because it, it ties in with what I'm talking about. We have to learn to have intimacy with God. We have to learn to, to uh, be willing to lay our lives down. And we have to understand what happens when we pray. There is tremendous authority in the prayer of the believer. If we understood how powerful prayer is, we would not hesitate to pray. I mean, we used to always, Tammy, I used to joke about it, but it's like, well, I guess we need to pray. It's like, well, has it come to that? No, no, we need to be in prayer, praying in authority for this land all the time, fully expecting God's word to come to pass. If we understand that prayer is not complaining to God, prayer is not just just uh, rehearsing to God what the devil has done. Prayer is basically agreeing with God, and that's all it's about, is agreeing with Him, and we agree with Him through His Word, and we can make a demand, not, not for God to do what I want, but make a demand on what He's already promised. Make a demand on what he said. And we understand that. That's where the anointing will flow. That's where the power will flow. And if the church would get in that mindset, I'll tell you, we would have revival. It's like, well, we prayed, didn't we? We prayed this week once, probably. At church, at least, we prayed. Well, sometimes we don't don't understand that the purpose of prayer is is so important. And I I don't remember which preacher it was, but uh, it was a guy who did... uh, through the Bible in five years. What was that guy's name? Uh, anyway, he would always say at the end of it, and prayer changes things. Well, it does if you understand how to pray with authority, if you understand what you're doing. So let me go to this passage of Scripture. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The Bible says this, but if you can do anything, this guy, his son is sick, he has got a, he's got a demon, the disciples tried to cast the devil out of the son, but they couldn't do it. He gets down, and the guy, Jesus says, what's going on here? He said, I tried. My son throws himself in the fire, all these things up, but your disciples couldn't do anything. Because Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration, comes down with James and John and Peter, and, and the rest of the disciples, or whatever, they couldn't do anything. But he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, do have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, you say to me, if you can do anything. <laughs> Jesus said, you're asking me if I can do anything? That's an amazing question. If you can do something, Jesus. Oh, Lord, if you can just do something for me. I know Christians who pray that way. If you can do it, oh, God, if you just do this. Jesus said, if I can do anything? What? All things are possible to him who believes. That's the amplified version. (laughs) If you can just do anything. If I can do anything. All things are possible, Jesus said, to him that believes. See, we need to understand that the whole Christian faith is built on the impossible. Why would we think that we can live it? Paul asked the Galatians, you began in the spirit, you want to continue in the flesh? Why would we think that that which is super, we began in the supernatural? Why would we think that we have to live the rest of our lives in the natural with no supernatural? The fact that God views us as having never sinned one time because of the price that Jesus paid and our faith in him, that is impossible. I mean, when you look at your life, you may see yourself as a sinner, but God doesn't see you as a sinner. 
He sees us as the righteousness of God in Him. He made Jesus to be sin for us. He made us to be the righteousness of God in Him. It's impossible, but God made it possible. The thought that you and I can go to heaven when we die? I mean, that's impossible. The spirit and the soul get separated from the body. We get to go to heaven. I mean, that's impossible. It's impossible. The thought of life after death is impossible. That's why they had such a problem with Jesus because he rose from the dead and they, it, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. The thought of the rapture of the saints. Now just think of it. We've been talking about that. It's impossible. How is it that, that this Jesus who they killed, who's now alive because it's impossible, comes back in the air and he shouts and all of us all of a sudden get to go to heaven with him? That's impossible. Our whole faith is about, about impossible things. If we... It, everything that we believe is impossible. I mean, the resurrection of the dead, healing, deliverance, prosperity, all those things are impossibilities. The Christian life begins with the impossible and ends with the impossible. Everything we count foundational is impossible. So, why is it so difficult for Christians to believe for the impossible? It should be a... When we're talking about the new normal, here's what our new normal ought to be. I believe you no matter what. Even if it's impossible. Even if it looks like it can never happen, I believe you. Whatever you say is what I believe. Okay? So from this, this guy, I mean, he said, if you can do anything. Jesus said, if I can do anything. <laughs> if I can do anything. If you can do it. The only if here is if he can believe. If you can believe the word. Jesus is able. Our faith releases his ability. If I believe him. That releases what he wants to do. God intends for you and I to operate in this realm of the impossible. In fact, Jesus told the disciples, he said, the things that I do, you can do. And greater things than these can you do. They said, when, the, when Jesus cursed the fig tree and it died, and they came back the next day and said, golly, Jesus, look what you did to that tree. And he basically said, you can do this too. In fact, if you speak to the mountain." It'll be removed and cast in the sea if you'll believe what you say. We've got to believe we can do the impossible because of his power flowing through his words that come out of our mouth. Wow, that was a good statement. I didn't even write that one down. That's how it happens. His power through his words coming out of our mouths. If we're going to do the impossible, then we've got to believe what Jesus said. We have a mandate. We have a mandate to preach the gospel to the world, but I'll tell you, the church has a mandate from God for revival to come in this nation. And we've got to be willing to believe God for the impossible. The early church was accused of turning the world upside down. Remember they said that about Paul and his followers? They said those people who've turned the world upside down have come here. Well, they weren't turning it upside down. They were turning it right side up. We have a mandate from God to turn our nation right side up again. It's not going to happen because of things we do in the flesh. It's going to happen because of things we do in the Spirit. When the people of God learn to pray and understand the authority we have over demons, over the devil, over all the demonic realm, we have authority and we exercise that authority in prayer. This is, I mean, this is really good stuff. We're, if we're going to do the impossible, it's going to be time for us to take control here. Instead of being fearful 
of all the things that are happening in our society, fearful of, of the riots, fearful of all the things. We need to be believing God for the impossible. Can I just tell you, it's impossible to turn it around now. Wait a minute. It's not impossible if we can believe. If we can believe what God said, we can, do, we can take authority over the devil. We can take authority over the circumstances. Does that mean it happens in 24 hours? Not necessarily, but it, does believe, but it does mean that it happens. And when you and I pray a prayer of agreement by faith in what the Word promises, I'll tell you, things begin to change and things begin to happen. These people in the book of Acts, they turned the world upside down and there weren't that many of them. They didn't have an army. They didn't even have any media. You could not Google it. They turned the world upside down because they were absolutely committed to it. And that's what it's going to take for America, for the church to get committed to it. We've got to commit to what God has called us to do. I mean, I'll tell you, the rapture may come tomorrow. We might get out and and we don't, have to, we don't have to fool with what happens here anymore. But I don't want that to happen yet because of my children and grandchildren. We've got to believe God for the impossible. I believe all my children and grandchildren will go with us. But I think they have great things to do as well. So, let me read you another passage of Scripture. We've got to be people, men and women of authority. We've got to understand who we are. This is out of Joshua chapter 10. This is, begins in verse 7. It says, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him. Joshua was maybe the, he was maybe the, the greatest military leader of all time because he got his plans from the, from, from the Lord and he knew exactly what to do. And so he says, he said that, that, that he and all the people of war went with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not, for I've delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came out, came unto them suddenly, went up from Gilgal all night, and the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon to, and, and smote them to Azekah and to Makeda. And it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel and were going down to Beth Horon, the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah, and they died. They were more which died with the hailstones than they with whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. When God's on your side, great things can happen like that. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, and the people had event, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down for about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Now I really like this because it says Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day. Sun stand still. He, 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 it's, it's a different kind of prayer than saying, God, we're tired. He said, God, we're going to go further than we've gone so far. The king of Jerusalem in that day was terrified of Israel after they conquered Jericho and Ai. I mean, they, they, they were terrified of them. He was even more afraid after Gibeon 
They were considered a great royal city, tricked Israel into making a treaty with them. That's a whole different story where they came, pretended they'd taken a long journey. They convinced the, the leaders of Israel that they were far, from far away and they wanted to make a treaty because they weren't supposed to make treaties with anybody in the land, but they made a treaty with them. And so now they became allied with, allied with, with Israel. And so that made, that made these Amorite kings mad and they joined, they joined the king of Jerusalem and they decided they would fight against Gibeon because they're mad at them now they're going to destroy them. Gibeon then, because they saw the armies coming after them, they called out for their new allies Israel, which they knew were now obligated to help them. They were pretty smart people that they made this covenant and Israel didn't seek God in that one. So Joshua and all the mighty men of Israel marched all night to get there and then they fought all day and then when it was getting dark, Joshua spoke to the sun, the moon. He spoke to the Lord, and to, and then to the sun and the moon. And they fought a whole nother day. I mean, these guys fought for 36 hours. I mean, they were indeed men of valor. I mean, that literally means powerful men of virtue and wealth. I mean, it's a great passage. It tells you to operate in authority and live in the impossible. Here's the question. Do we believe that really happened? The answer is yes. Yeah. yeah it really happened just like it says that. It, it was impossible for that to happen. Joshua commanded the sun to stand still, and it did. Obviously, we understand science that, that the, the sun is standing still, the earth is revolving, but we, we, get the, we understand what it's talking about. The sun stayed in that place in the sky for a whole day. We understand we have an enemy who's planning our demise. We've got to take action in the spirit to see that his threat is destroyed. The Bible tells us that all these things in the Old Testament were written for our example. So we'll understand how to do some things. Joshua commanded. So, so how, how did that even work for him? He prays this prayer. It doesn't sound like a prayer. He talks to God. It says he's talking to God, but he says, Son, stand still. But it's a prayer because it says he was talking to God. So how does that work? Several things. Number one, Joshua could exercise authority over, over the sun and the moon because he was courageous. He was not afraid. It says, and the Lord said to Joshua, in verse 8 of that, we read a minute ago, fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not want, not a man of them stand before thee. Right off the, right off the bat, God says, don't be afraid. If we're going to defeat the demonic forces that are trying to take our nation, we cannot be afraid of them. The church cannot be afraid. We must understand that we are God's people. You will never operate in faith and authority if you're afraid. If you're afraid, you're just hoping and praying. If you have, if you have faith, and you believe God, you have to decide not to be afraid. Faith and fear cannot cohabit together. Now, there's a big difference between the feeling of fear and submitting to fear. I mean, you'll feel afraid. There are lots of times you feel afraid. Sometimes your knees may be knocking together. But you've got to understand that's the feeling of fear, and you can't submit to the feeling of fear. When the Bible tells us over and over to fear not, it's telling us not to give in to the feeling of fear. We need to become people who decide, you know what, if I'm afraid of it, I'm going to withstand it and I'm going to overcome it. 
because the fear will the, the fear paralyzes people. What a terrible past year or so we've had. People so afraid to even come out of their houses. And I understand the 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 the, the, the virus is real. I get it, but we can't be so afraid that we're paralyzed and refuse to do what God called us to do. I mean, we can't we can't be afraid of things. Faith and fear we are not the same thing. Worry is a form of fear. We've got to understand it. We can't worry. Can't worry. I think I've told you this before, but there was a guy named Drummond Tom that preached in at Trinity Church at a full gospel business meeting back in the seventies, and he was from some other country. I can't remember, but he was he was telling the story, and he would say, God told him, he said, and God said, when I worry, you can worry. <laughs> and God's never worried. He already knows the end from the beginning. The only reason there was a beginning was so God can take us to the end. He already knows. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who sees and provides because He's already seen it. We can't be afraid. We've got to trust Him. We've got to know Him. The Bible says that He keeps us in perfect peace as our mind is stayed upon Him because we trust in Him. Perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. Absolutely, completely, nothing missing, nothing broken because we trust in Him. Our mind has to be in the right place. We have to focus our mind in the right thing. We have to make sure that we don't allow fear to overcome us. The only way to overcome fear is with the Word of God. And you've got to say it out loud. That's the only way you overcome it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith is what, what's gonna, what it's going to take. Faith is manifested in your life by the words that come out of your mouth. Ooh, if, I, if we could listen to one another when nobody else is around, that's how we'd know what we believe. What we say is what we believe. Faith is taking a stand on the word no matter how I feel in spite of what I see. No matter what I feel. doesn't matter how I feel. doesn't matter what it looks like. What did God say? And taking that stand and not being afraid. Do you remember the first time you tithed? <laughs> that was uncomfortable, wasn't it? I mean, it's like, well, honey, we, we don't have any money. But it said, the tithe is the Lord's. Here it is. You know, I've told people for years, that's the closest thing to a living sacrifice there is because I've heard the money scream all the way into the bucket. <laughs> but you remember that? But, but eventually, because we simply obeyed what he said, the tide turned and we saw the miracle financially because of what God has done. You see, Joshua exercised authority because he was not afraid. He exercised authority because he endured. I mean, think about it again. They marched all night. They fought all day. Joshua asking for another day. Most of us would have been asking for a break. God, this is so hard. We just, we've been doing this for so long. We need a break. No, no, no. We don't need a break till the victory is ours. We've got to be willing to endure, be willing to fight until we get it done. The devil is banking on the fact that you will give up before you win. I mean, he knows human nature and he understands that people quit when they get tired. 
Remember Elijah? I'm the only one left, God. <laughs> Cries the whole. Because he was so tired. You know, he built the altar, killed the cow, danced, and made fun of the, the, the other prophets of Baal. And it was a long day. And now at the end of the day, he hears one rumor that Jezebel's going to kill him. And he's like, oh, God, I'm the only one left. Don't let her kill me. We need to be people who can endure. What did God say? Here's one thing about the devil. He's a persistent little cuss. Christians quit, but the devil doesn't quit. The Bible prophesies about a Gog and Magog war just before the rapture. Then it prophesies about another Gog and Magog war known as the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the, at the, end of the, the, the tribulation. And then there's another Gog and Magog war at the con conclusion of the millennium after he's released from the pit for a short time. He just doesn't give up until that one day <laughs> he'll quit because he's going to go into the lake of fire and we will never hear from him again. But he won't quit, but he can be defeated if we will take a stand of faith, exercise authority, standing on the word of God as we pray and believe. That's what we have to be able to do. Joshua exercised authority by the words of his mouth. I mean, as I've already said, this wasn't even a good prayer. I mean, it doesn't even sound like he prayed, but he made a demand in the Spirit according to the will of God. He made a demand. He didn't make a demand based on the circumstances, but according to the will of God. When you know your authority, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time asking God, begging God. In fact, you don't need to spend any time doing that. You just simply make the decree in the Spirit as you're in fellowship with God. Understand, not one of us is going to be able to convince God to do something that's against His will. That's why we have to have intimate fellowship with Him so we'll know what the demand ought to be. When Peter raised the lame man at the beautiful gate, he didn't do it like, oh God, heal him now. No, he didn't say that. He just said, silver and gold have I none, such as I have given to thee in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Well, we need to learn how. That was the will of God. Peter knew it was the will of God. And he could say it. Most Christians are too busy asking God to remove the mountains. But Jesus told us, if we have faith, we will say the mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. We doubt not in our heart it will be removed for us. Man. So we, we, here's, listen to this verse. This is in John chapter 14. Beginning of verse 12. The Bible says this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And we think that's the end of that conversation. But he went on to say, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is interesting. Jesus said, You do the works. And this doesn't say beg in my name. It says ask. The word ask means to be adamant in requesting and demanding something. It's talking about how to pray. It's talking about praying the exact will of God. It's not talking about little little, little prayers that, Lord, if it be thy will. No, it's making a demand on what we already know is the will of God from the word of God. The, the word is his will every single time. It's talking about doing the works of Jesus that are done by the Father as a result of us speaking the word of God. It, it should have said, whatsoever you demand in my name, that I will do. If you demand anything in my name, I will do it. Anything. It's not talking about demanding. I demand a new Cadillac. No, that's not what it's talking about. 
It's talking about demanding whatever he said, whatever he's promised. When we exercise authority, we already know our rights. We make a demand, not on God. We make a demand on the Word because the Word is true. Joshua exercised authority because he knew God. It says that they avenged themselves, but the next verse says that the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua knew God. When we know who's who, you'll know that it may be your word and your authority, but it's God's power that backs you up. I like this verse, and I'm going to explain it a little bit. It says, And there was, there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, it's, it's like, well, there it is. You, only Joshua could have done that. He, that can never be activated again because God doesn't voice, hearken to the voice of a man anymore. Well, that isn't exactly true. Let's interpret the Bible by the Bible. In Judges chapter 13, 9, it says, And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. That was after Joshua. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah and her husband, but Manoah, her husband was not there. Second Kings chapter 13, 4, And Jehoahaz besought the Lord, and the Lord hearkened unto him, for he saw the oppression of Israel because of the king of Assyria. In 2, Corinthians 30, 30, 2 Chronicles 30.20 it says, And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So God has hearkened to the voice of men since that day. Right? The verse is saying there's never been a day like that since, since the Lord obeyed a man who commanded the sun to stand still. That's what it's talking about. It's not saying that God won't hearken. Isaiah commanded the sundial to go back for 40 minutes, but he didn't command the sun to stand still. Right? So people go, well, you know, this is all just in God's hands. We don't know. Well, here's what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his maker, ask of me to, of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. It's an interesting verse. In other words, if God wants it, I can make the command of it, and his hand will move. It's not talking about me saying, God, I need you to do that, and you to do that. No, no, it's what is his plan, what is his will, making a command of faith in the Spirit and watching God do it. Because he wanted to do it anyway. And he just needs someone to speak it up. All right, what time is it? You got just a couple more minutes here? I like this. This is a whole different story. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, this is in Matthew chapter 8, there came to him a centurion beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now the centurion has, has, is messing up in one place and got it exactly right in the other place. He said, I'm not worthy. That wasn't exactly true. But he said, just speak the word only. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go and he goeth. To that another, come and he cometh. And to my servant, do this and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not Israel. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed the selfsame hour. Now, this guy is a Roman. He's not even a covenant partner yet, but he was a man of great faith. It literally says, Faith so vast as this. This, is, man, this applies to what the church ought to be doing in the spirit realm right now. Committing our lives to what he wants. Surrendering to whatever he says. Understanding that he can do it. If we're going to accomplish the works that Jesus has assigned us, we have to have vast faith. I love it. He said, speak the word only. The secret of taking authority is speak the word only. 
And then he said, I'm a man under authority. If we don't have faith, we will never have authority. If we don't believe what God has said, we will never have authority. I'm talking about Bible faith. Bible faith can only come from the Bible. Bible faith doesn't come because of a denomination or because of what I think the Bible says. It comes because I've been in the Bible. I know what it says. We get it by, by the Holy Spirit reveals the word to us. It's an active, powerful force that acts as a channel for grace. We've taught that before. And grace forces the change. We're changed by grace or saved by grace. Changed from darkness to light because we believed what God said. I mean, there's a supernatural between the centurion's understanding of authority and faith. When we pray, we need to believe that we receive what we ask for. We need to believe that we make a demand in the spirit that it comes just like the word of God says. And I've told this story before. Most of you remember when service merchandise was in business and you would order something at service merchandise and you'd fill out what was called the demand slip. You'd pay them the money. You'd hand, hand them the demand slip and then you go stand by the little thing and pretty soon your merchandise would come down the little rail because you made a demand. That's what we need to be able to do in the spirit. We need to understand God. God is God. His word is true, forever true. We need to become people of faith, operating in prayer, in the Spirit, understanding that we have the right to demand what God has called us to. One more story, and then I'll be done. One time in England, Smith Wigglesworth, you all know who he was, right? He was standing on a street corner, he was waiting for a bus. And a woman came out of an apartment, she was going to get on the bus, and her little dog ran out behind her. And she said to the dog, honey, you're going to have to go back. And the dog didn't pay any attention to her. I mean, he just wagged his tail, rubbed up against her, and she says, now, dear, you can't go. And the dog just wagged his tail, rubbed up against her a little more, and about that time, the bus arrived. Then the woman stomped her foot and yelled, get! And the dog tucked his tail between his legs and took off. Smith Wigglesworth said, he hollered out loud without even thinking about it, he said, now, that's the way you got to deal with the devil. <laughs> we need to be people of faith. We need to be people who make demands in the Spirit. If we're going to be these people who humble ourselves and pray, let's make the prayer effective. Let's do what needs to be done. Let's lay our lives down for the purpose of God. For the, we need to believe God for this nation, what He's called us to do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we honor You. Lord, tonight we want to be men and women of faith. We want to be men, men and women of power who will stand in this world and do what you've called us to do. Father, we thank you. We love you. We love your word. And I believe because this country made a covenant with you all those years ago, that you have, you have purposed to protect us, to deliver us. And your church, God, we pray for it to stand in this hour, in the place of faith, in the place of prayer. Lord, humbling ourselves before you, doing whatever you want us to do. Lord, we give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.